Welcome to It's All About Jesus, a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel Eagle. You are listening to a Sunday morning message by Pastor Mike Sasso. If you would like to join us for church, we meet every Sunday, 10 a.m. at North Star Charter School, 839 North Linder Road in Eagle, Idaho. You may also join us live streaming at that time. Go to cceagle.org at 10 a.m. to watch the whole service live. If you can't join us then, you can always go back and watch the video. Let's listen in to today's message. It's all about Jesus. It's all about the Lord. So I have to be a Jew before I can become a Christian. No. Abraham really was right with God long before he did any of those things and before he was circumcised. It goes on to say this. So Abraham is the spiritual father of all those who have faith but have not been circumcised. Boy, that would, that would stumble the typical Jew. Wait a minute. Abraham is the father of faith to the people who, get, who believe and they're not circumcised? That's what, that's what Paul says here. They are counted as righteous because of their faith, not because you get circumcised, not because you jump through anybody's hoops or keeps anybody's rules, okay? On, in verse 12. And Abraham is also the spiritual father of those who've been circumcised. So it goes both ways. But only, only if they have the same kind of faith that Abraham had before he was circumcised. See, this had to rub the Jew wrong because the Jew was really pushing the Gentile. In that time, the Jew was putting pressure on the Gentile that you can't just be right with God as you are. You have to become all that I am as a Jew. And, and this, this was the first big controversy in the early church. Verse 13, clearly God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was not based on his obedience to God's law, but on a right relationship with God that comes by faith. I don't know about you, but that, that takes a load off of my chest. That makes me go, wow. You mean I could just love God? It's, it's kind of like in any relationship, husbands and wives, you know? You know, how would you like it? Either husband or wife, have one spouse to do the other. All right, you can be right with me as long as you don't do this and don't do that. And you do this and you do this and you gotta give and you make a big list. Give a big here's your list, and that's the way to be right with me. Or is it just I love you, you love me, we're a happy family. You know? I mean, God wants a loving relationship with you, and He wants you to know Him, love Him, and trust Him in faith, walk in faith. But it's not give me the list. Okay, that's how I could get God to like me. Oh, that's so wrong. That's so twisted. So, now Paul made some proclamations to the Galatians as well. I want to look at one of those in the book of Galatians. Uh, because the Galatians, the whole book of Galatians is really especially geared towards this argument of the early church. Do you have to become a Jew before you become a Gentile? And so, uh, excuse me, before you can become a Christian. Do you have to leave your Gentile standard and take the Jewish standard? Okay, in Galatians 2.16, listen to this. And really, if you, if you struggle over this, read the whole book of Galatians. But here's a real key verse, Galatians 2.16. Paul says this, Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, 
not by obeying the law. Let that sink in. Let me read it again. Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ. Now, what do you mean faith in Christ? Well, you believe, to have faith in Christ, you believe that Jesus paid the price for your sins. And you trust in him as the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And you trust in him that he paid your way into heaven. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to pay your own way. You don't have to make any more sacrifices, you know, animal sacrifices. It's all been done at the cross. And you look to the cross and you look to Jesus and you say, he did it all. Have you ever heard that song, Jesus paid it all? All to him I owe. Mm. And so it's Jesus who paid our way. Let's see, where do I leave off here? We believe that in Christ Jesus, uh, that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we've obeyed the law. There it is again. It's because Jesus did it all. One more line in here. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying law. You need to get this in because, boy, it is so natural for us to go, okay, what are the rules, right? You get saved and you join a church, you go, okay, just tell me, what are the rules? Where are the lines? Well, there are lines. Just keep reading your Bible and, and you'll find there are, and matter of fact, I'm going to end our message today with giving you some New Testament principles that show a picture of what faith should look like to the New Testament believer. I'll, I'll show you that in a moment. Okay, now, this principle of being made right with God is also available to all of us today on the same basis, by grace, through faith, and and. Paul, in the middle of Romans, in the middle of the book, in Romans 5, he says this. Therefore, since we've been, we've been made right with God, excuse me, in God's sight by faith, meaning like it's already happened. I'm not working to get it. Have you ever asked somebody if you're saved and they say, I hope so? Are you going to heaven? I hope so. That's not the way Paul spoke. And that's not the way he wants you and I to think. He says, therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God. Why? Because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. It's the cross, folks. Rest in that. Trust in that. That's your hope. That's your strength. Because if you think it's all on you, what a hopeless, frustrating endeavor we have. But if, it was all about, if it's all about Jesus and he did it all, what a difference. What a difference religion is when it's all about me being good enough or it's all about Jesus doing it all. Oh, I came out of a religious background that made me feel like I had to keep working. You know what? And now I, I do work for God. You may have noticed. I, I work for God. But I do it because I love him. Matter of fact, I do nice things for my wife too. But it's because I love her. Not that maybe I could get her to love me. I just keep, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to clean to do the dishes today. Maybe I'll cook a meal. Run for your life if I cook a meal. And, and, and maybe I'll get her to like me. No. I serve my wife because I love her. I serve the Lord because I love him. That's the way works looks in the Christian walk, okay? Did I stop myself in the middle because of what he's done for us? Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of, listen, I like this from the New Living, undeserving privilege where we now stand and we, confident, and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. I like this phrase, undeserving privilege. Have you ever been given a privilege that you didn't deserve? 
Ah, me? You're going to let me do that? You're going to give that to me? That's what getting saved is like. You don't deserve it. It's undeserving privilege. So back to Abraham now, talking about Abraham, which we're going to look at in Hebrews in a moment. I want to give you your next fill-in. By the way, if you're visiting us, the fill-ins are used in the small groups as discussion points, and your inserts that the fill-ins are found on are discussion questions and interaction that the small groups will do a follow-up to our Sunday morning when you meet throughout the week. And if you're interested in joining a small group, I encourage you to do so. Uh, matter of fact, if, if you're leading a small group, could you raise your hand? I'm just kind of wondering how many of the leaders. Look, talk to one of these guys if you're leading a small group. If you're in a small group, raise your hand. Okay? So if you want to know about a small group, ask some of these people here, and you could, maybe they could lead you. Look, at, look for somebody who doesn't sound, look so threatening, and, and you know, the, not the scary people, and they'll invite you, okay? So here's your next fill-in about Abraham. We see that he was made right with God by faith, and I'm, this is real simple, because this is Hebrews 11.6, by believing God, by trusting God, and today we see that real faith in today's text, we're going to see that real faith not only trusts, not only obeys, but also makes sacrifices. There's your word, sacrifices. Now, I'm not, I don't want to give you the impression that in order to get saved, you've got to make some kind of big sacrifice. But I'll tell you what, believing God, if you believe God, there's going to be times you'll give up something for him because you know that it's displeasing to him. And it's a sacrifice. There's going to be times he'll call you to go somewhere or do something that you might not normally want to do. But because you love him and you know he's telling you to do it, you make a sacrifice, okay? That's what love does, okay? So let's look at now Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17. It says, by faith, when he was tested, that's what we're going to look at today, Abraham's testing. When he was tested, he offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. Now you really got to think about this. If you know the story, you realize that God had promised that he was going to make Abraham the father of many nations. And that he was going to bless him and he was going to multiply his seed. And he already had made clear it's not Ishmael, it's Isaac. He made clear that it would be from Sarah. We've already covered all this in, uh, in previous weeks. And that God promised that he would send even the Messiah, which we didn't cover that part, but the whole world would be blessed through Isaac. Through Isaac. And then God says, kill Isaac. This is totally crazy. This doesn't make sense at all. And, and you know, we've already looked at a little bit of Abraham's life that you know, we saw that faith believes God even when you don't see how and you don't see when he's going to keep his word. Like, he waited a long time for Isaac. How are you going to give me a son when my wife and I have been married for many, many, many years and we've never had any kids? And of course, they came up with a plan B, which is problematic. And then he says, well, when are you going to do it? Because I've been waiting for many, many, many years. When? Faith waits. Faith believes even when you don't know how, don't know when. But now in verse 17 here, we're seeing that, that Abraham obeyed God by faith when he didn't know why. That's a big question. Has God ever showed you that you need to do something or not do something? And the big question in your mind is, why? Why? Well, we don't know why God was saying what he's saying and doing what he's doing. But why would 
God want Abraham to sacrifice his son when he already has given him his son and told him, that's the guy. This is the man I've been promising you about. This was totally counterintuitive and it makes no sense. And matter of fact, many times faith seems conflicting like that. That you look at it and you just go, why? That's why we call it faith. Are you going to believe God? All God's promises concerning the future of Abraham's seed was wrapped up in Isaac. And now God says, I want you to take Isaac. I want you to, to sacrifice him. And we'll look at the story in specific in a moment here. But I want to tell you something that you may have already discovered. The tests of faith in our life often become more difficult the more we walk with God. He may start like he did with Abraham. Just leave your home and go. Where? I don't know. Oh, this is a big trial. Do it. He does it. Gives him a harder test. And eventually, the hardest test. Take your son, your only son, the only one that matters, and sacrifice him to the Lord. If you've been a Christian a long time, you know what I'm talking about. Because the more you walk with the Lord, sometimes the greater the challenges get. But also, I would say the greater the rewards are. When we learn to walk in faith and learn to walk in obedience. Now, let's turn to that story. We're going to take the remainder of our time and look at the story in Genesis chapter 22. So why don't you open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 22. We're going to look at this specific story. And let's look at the first two verses. Genesis 22.1. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, he said, here I am. And he said, take now your son your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. You know, by the way, I want to tell you something, if you don't know already, that this is probably one of the greatest pictures of Jesus Christ and, and the Father and the Son working together for the plan of salvation for mankind that you'll find anywhere in the Old Testament. There's probably no greater picture of sacrifice of Christ than this story. And first understand that God never intended to have Abraham kill his son. It was a parable. I'll show you that in a moment. It was a true historical event, but it also was a parable. It, but it was a test. How many of you guys have ever been tested by God? Huh? If you've been Christian more than a week, <laughs> sometimes less than that, you're, you know what I'm talking about. It was a test. So here's the next thing I want to touch on before we move on in the story. It's your fill-in, your next fill-in. There's a difference between a test and a temptation. God will never tempt us to sin. I want you to know that. Though this, That's what this looks like here in Abraham's story. But God will never tempt us to sin. James 1 says this. And remember, when you are being tempted, do not say God is tempting me. God is never tempting, excuse me, God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us along. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. If you're being tempted to sin right now, don't say God is doing it. Don't blame God. It's your, James 1 says, it's your own flesh. We're quite capable. It's like I heard somebody pray once, lead us not to temptation. I could find it myself. You don't need his help to find or to sin. Now, here's your next part of your filling. God tests us in order to confirm our faith. Now, there's a, 
a cross-reference. You could look it up there with the small groups and talk about that. But God tests us in order to confirm our faith. And Satan tempts us in order to make us fall. Satan doesn't want to make you better. He wants to make you dead. Okay? And so Satan tests us in order to make us fall. And 1 Corinthians 7, 5, you could look at that and talk about that in your small groups. Now, Abraham's test pushed him to the very limits of logic. It didn't make sense. It didn't seem reasonable. And this doesn't seem like the God I know that he would ask me to do such a thing. And the question is, would he still obey God even if it seems like God is working against his promise to me? God is working against his covenants. Am I going to obey God? Well, if you know for sure God is telling you to do something, that's the test. Will you do it? Would he cling to his son or surrender his son to God? Did he believe God would still keep his word and bless the world through Isaac, even though he's supposed to sacrifice Isaac? This is crazy, but we're going to see what Abraham was actually thinking. Look again at verse 2. It says, Then he said, Take now your son, your only son. It's like the only begotten son, right? Whom you love, go to the land of Moriah, offer him there as a burnt offering, on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. Now leave that slide up, because I'm going to say a few things about that verse. I want, again, I will enforce to you that I believe this is an actual historical story, but it's also a parable. And it, it, it's, a, it's also a picture of Christ. First of all, he says, your only son. God is disregarding the son of the flesh. He's saying, Ishmael isn't your son. This one's the one I'm talking about. He's the son of promise. And so he's a type. This picture was a type of Jesus, the only son of promise. This is the one. It's Jesus Christ. He also said, go to Moriah. Interesting that Moriah, the word Moriah means chosen by Jehovah. And it's, it's the same mountain range. You could look it up in Second Chronicles chapter 3. It's the same mountain range that the very temple, the Jewish temple was built on later. And then, interesting, he said, he said, on the hill, uh, he, he, one of the hills in this range, by the way, is called Calvary. And when, when God says, go to one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. So he goes to Moriah, this, this mountain, but there's one of the hills in particular I want you to go to. I personally believe that when Abraham got to the land, God told him which mountain it was. Now, you don't see it in the text, but I really believe it, that he says, look for a skull in the side of the mountain. I don't know if you got, I got a picture of that for you, and I would like to put it up now. Now? If you've ever been to Israel and been to Golgotha, it, it looks like a skull. Now, that's after thousands of years of erosion. It probably looked much more like a skull in Christ's time or even back in Abraham's time. It was called, in, it, in Christ's time, the place of the skull. That's what Calvary means, right? So the thing is, when you go to Calvary Chapel, you're going to Skull Chapel. <laughs> okay? Skull Hill. So I really believe that th this was one of the signs that Abraham... What an eerie thing. I'm going to sacrifice... This is not a Halloween message, by the way. I didn't mean to do that. But, but Abraham is taking his son to sacrifice him. And as he goes to the place... It's like the skull and crossbones waiting for him there. This is the X marks the spot, you know, pretty wild. And by the way, in verse 2, when it says, uh, as, offer him as a burnt offering, 
A burnt offering was a total sacrifice with nothing remaining. Uh, the, the Hebrew word for burnt offering is ola, which I don't know if I'm saying it right because I, I don't speak Hebrew, but it actually means to ascend, like up in smoke, a burnt offering. And the smoke from the sacrifice of a burnt offering, which it all goes up to God. And technically, any, any burnt offering, uh, any offering burnt over an altar was a burnt offering, but this particular burnt offering meant complete destruction, complete surrender to the Lord, as what God is asking Abraham to do, complete surrender to the Lord. Now, verse 3 says, So Abraham rose early in the morning. Well, I would have slept in on that day. Early in the morning he saddled his donkey, and he took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering, and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. By the way, something that most people don't realize, in many of the pictures of this story, it's illustrated like he's a little boy. Um, most estimate that he was at least a teenager, and probably uh, later in his years, and some estimate that he could have been as much as 33 years old. Interesting. Verse 4 says, Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes, and he saw the place from afar off. <sighs> Creepy. He's tra First of all, he's been traveling three days. That means he had time to turn around, you know? If I just got to go and do something, I'll go and do it. But I'm three days with his son. Three days with the son who he loved, knowing he was going to have to sacrifice him. That, you know, God gave him a test. And that test lasted more than just an hour, more than just a couple days. One day, it was three days. He had time to change his mind. And the whole time, it's just a horrible grief, feeling of grief. And he approaches this place and sees the skull and the side of the hill. And what an awful thought. Then verse 5 says this. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship. Look at this. And we will come back. We will come back. Do you think he was lying? I don't think so. Matter of fact, the Holy Spirit shows us in the book of Hebrews, back in our story, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 19, that here's exactly what Abraham was thinking. It says that he was concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead from which he also received him in a figurative sense. Let me explain. There's two things I want you to catch in this verse in our, our text in Hebrews. First of all, Abraham was thinking, I know what God said. I know God promised he was going to make a mighty nation out of Isaac and he's the one. He told me over and over again. And so best I could figure is I'm going to Sacrifice him and God's going to raise him up. But you know what? Up until that point, if you study Bible history, there's never been a record or even a story of a resurrection. Not until, not, you know, not until much later. And so Abraham didn't have anything to look forward to look at and go, well, he's going to probably raise from the dead like that or like this. It's never happened before. But in Hebrews, the Holy Spirit tells us in Hebrews eleven nineteen what Abraham was thinking. He's thinking, well, I believe God. So it's got to be that I will sacrifice him and God's going to raise him up. Now the second thing I want you to see in this, in this text is the, the last part of this verse says he received him in a figurative sense. Now I looked up that word figurative and it's the, the Greek word parabole. It means this was a parable. 
that he was believing in the death and resurrection. And it was a parable of Christ. It was a picture for us all. Again, verse 6. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and he laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and the knife and the two of them went together. So he's moving forward. But I tell you what, there is no greater picture. What a parable of the wood is now on the son as he's walking to his death. It's a picture of Christ carrying his cross. I like the way Warren Worsby explains this. Worsby says this, and he gives much more depth. He says, This experience is a picture of the Father and the Son and the cross, and is one of the most beautiful types of Christ found anywhere in the Old Testament. Jesus said to the Jews, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. And, and John eight fifty six, He says, In Isaac's miraculous birth, Abraham saw the day of Christ's birth. In Isaac's marriage, in Genesis 24, he saw the day Christ's coming for his bride. But on the Mount Moriah, when Isaac willingly put himself on the altar, Abraham saw the day of Christ's death and resurrection. This is a picture I don't want you to miss. That's why I don't want to just skip over this verse in Hebrews because it was one of the most powerful pictures of Christ and the cross and, and the, the picture of death and resurrection because that's what this is all about. Uh, verse 7 but Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father? He said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. He's going, yeah, I know how sacrifices work. They're supposed to be an animal. <laughs> Wait, Dad, I know how this works. We got the wood, we got the fire. We're missing something, right? And, and Abraham says, God's going to provide. Now, interesting, the King James translation is, is, uh, has a real powerful way of putting this. In uh, Genesis 22, 8, King James says, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. It's, got, it's like Jesus, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, was God made flesh and dwelt among us. That preaches, okay? That's pretty good. We hope you enjoyed today's program. You can find all of Pastor Mike's messages and any other information you would like about Calvary Chapel Eagle online at cceagle.org. In iTunes, you can subscribe to the podcast Calvary Chapel Eagle Sunday Morning. If you are new to the area and don't already have a home church, we would love for you to come check us out. We meet every Sunday, 10 a.m. at North Star Charter School, 839 North Linder Road in Eagle. That is one block north of Highway 44. You can call or text the church phone at 208-891-2635. Once again, you can get any information you need at cceagle.org. There you will also find a link to join our Facebook page. So until next time, remember, it's all about Jesus. Yeah, the power of His name.